All right, open up your Bibles to Acts 20. Acts 20 and verse 17. That's where we're going to be eventually. We are rapidly uh, approaching the end of the book of Acts. And we're going to this morning skim through Paul's third missionary journey. And, and here in Acts 20, we're actually at the very end of Paul's third missionary journey. Last week we did his second. The week before that we did his first. We're trying to just jump through the, jump through the missionary journeys here as we make our way to Jerusalem. Um, and just to kind of give you a summary of where Paul has been on his third missionary journey, he has finally made his way to the city of Ephesus. And some of you may be surprised to hear that, that Paul didn't get to Ephesus until near the end of the book of Acts. And it's not until Acts 18 and Acts 19 that Paul even shows up in the famous city of Ephesus. Um, If you look over here on my very accurate map, um, you see this octopus which I have decided Greek, uh, Greece uh, looks like an octopus. And you see the boot here, which I have decided that's actually somebody else decided that. Um, but on Paul's third missionary journey, uh, he just got back here to Antioch of Syria, not to be confused with Antioch of Poseidon. Uh, two Antiochs, come on, could we not be more confusing than that? Um, he took his feet and traveled up here for his third missionary journey and made his way all the way to Ephesus. As a matter of fact, for most of his third missionary journey, Paul is in Ephesus. He's kind of of doing ministry outside of Ephesus, reaching all of Asia, and then going into Macedonia, and then Greece. And, And by the time his time in Ephesus comes to an end, he actually leaves Ephesus and goes up to Troas, and then goes over to Macedonia, and then serves the churches down here, and goes all the way back down to uh, Corinth, which is over here, not accurate, by the way, uh, not accurate at all. And then from there, he's going to take a ship over here, meet the elders, which is what we're going to talk about today. And then he's going to take that ship all the way back to Jerusalem. So clear as mud. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, sometimes his missionary journeys look very similar because he's constantly going back and forth, uh, between churches he's already seen and established and, and new places he's trying to get to. Um, and so today we're kind of all the way at the end of his missionary journey when he's coming back through Corinth and about to leave to Jerusalem. Now, a lot of things have happened in this time. He's been in Ephesus for around three years, um, and his time in Ephesus comes to a close with a little dust-up between him and the local um, silversmith shrine makers. Uh, they didn't like Paul very much because, well, as we'll see, their ministry was plummeting as the gospel was increasing. And he basically got kicked out of town uh, through riot, and that's where he, he kind of had to leave, and then he decided to go to Jerusalem. But his plan was to eventually go to Rome after he had um, given the financial gifts from the churches in Macedonia and uh, Greece and brought them to Jerusalem. So now Paul is in this place in Acts 20, verse 17, called Miletus, Miletus. Um, And Paul is nearing the end of his ministry, but as we will see, Jesus is not done with Paul yet. Jesus still has great plans to use Paul to bring the word of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And of course, this is the whole purpose of Luke, to show us in the narrative of Acts how 
Um, Christ's continued work is happening through his church, right? It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's according to the plan of God the Father, but it's through his ministers who carry his word. And, and today, actually, I really want to zero in and focus and center our thoughts on kind of Paul, the, the instrument of this message. He is one of the apostles who spread the word of Christ and caused it to expand and reach the world. But we want to look at how um, his ministry functioned. And he, he, he explains his ministry, kind of his characteristics and his urgency in ministry through his message to the elders in Ephesus. And he'll, he'll give us some descriptions that we'll kind of use to, to, to go through the third missionary journey and look at some highlights. So, so to you guys, I want to simply speak to you on, on, on this simple idea. There is a certain kind of, of person there's a certain kind of person that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to use to do his continued work. Remember, remember the kind of the title of the book of Acts? It's, it's not the Acts of the Apostles as much as it's the continued Acts of the risen Christ who uh, continues to seek and save lost sinners by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the plan of God through the witness of the church. And let's, let's look at the kind of people he uses. Of course, Paul does not see himself as the only kind of person that the Lord Jesus uses. He, a matter of fact, he would describe himself as an example of Christ's mercy. He would say to you today, if he was here, look at me. If the Lord Jesus Christ can take a sinner and an enemy of Christ like me, he can take you as well. We're going to look at his descriptions of himself in a way and, and just kind of frame your thoughts around this. This is the kind of person that the Lord Jesus Christ uses in his continued work. Let's read Acts 20. Verse 17, this is Paul's, once again, his, his message, his kind of farewell sermon to the elders of Ephesus. Verse 17 of Acts 20. Now, from uh, Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now behold, I know that none of you, uh, none of you among whom I have uh, gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish every one with tears. And now I commend you to the God, uh, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And so, of course, the ship going to Jerusalem that will lead Paul to being bound in chains. Um, Here we are, and we're looking at Paul's basic description of himself, and I want to kind of zoom out once again to describe the kinds of people that the Lord Jesus uses in his continued work. So I'm going to kind of frame these points in like just like present tense imperatives so it's really easy for you guys to grab and, and, and see the call, the application to your own life. So this is the kind of people the Lord Jesus continues to use. Uh, they obey these things. They do these things. Number one, uh, they love people. I want you to notice something about the Apostle Paul, and this is extraordinary when you think about where he came from and what he was doing when the Lord saved him. He was, he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. But I want you to notice something about Paul, something new. He, he has been transformed. He went from an enemy of the church to a lover of all the people in the church. And notice how Paul is always with the church. He is pulled this way and that way because of his love for people, especially in the local church. And and notice here in his message, he he appeals to the elders in Ephesus themselves. You yourselves know, verse 18. You know. He's referring referring to to facts that they were very well acquainted with. They, They knew him well. And notice also how he describes himself, how I lived among you. Among you is actually... Uh, right in front of the verb, so that puts emphasis on it. I was among you. You know this was true, Paul says. I lived with you. And you could basically break down the application this way, right? You know who you love by who you love to be with, right? That's a simple application. And Paul loved to be with God's people, right? They were, they were the church obtained by the blood of his precious Savior, and he loved the people that his Lord Jesus loved as well. Notice also Paul's selflessness, right? We see this at the very end of his sermon, verse 33. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. He, he, he lived by means of working with his own hands. He, he, he lived in such a way 
to minimize his burden on other people so that he could maximize his service to other people. He loved to be with others, and he didn't want to be a burden to others. We see this illustrated, of course, in his ministry in Ephesus. If you turn back to Acts 19, particularly 8 and uh, 19, 8 all the way through 10, it kind of describes his initial ministry. It says there that he spent three initial months speaking boldly and reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God in synagogues. Then, of course, in verse 9, um, some of the Jews, no surprise, began speaking evil of him and of the way. And he had to withdraw with his disciples, and he moved to this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, where he continued, it says here, for two years. In, in of course, the, the Acts 20 sermon, Paul says he was in Ephesus for three years. So perhaps here, verse 10 is describing events that happened for at least two years of time. And then the last year, maybe he did a lot of traveling. We do not know. But, but notice he was there for th- three years. Three years and, and doing something that involved people. He was in the hall of Tyrannus day by day teaching and, and, and instructing and, and exhorting the Ephesian believers. Of course, probably what was happening was he was taking this, this hall during the, the siesta hours in the afternoon, the 11 a.m. to about 4 p.m. time when everybody else was taking a nap and he was using the hall when it was empty and people would come during their break time and they would hear the word of God. But notice this is, this is a lot of love from Paul. He had a lot of love for people. He wanted to be with people. And we see this all throughout Acts. He's continually pulled between two desires to, to spread the word of Jesus farther and farther to, to people that have never heard about Jesus and the other desire that is to strengthen believers that already know Jesus. Paul is constantly pulled all around the ancient Mediterranean world because of his love for people. Matter of fact, I was reading um, this about Paul. It, it is estimated that there were there were about 100 people in the New Testament that had some sort of association with Paul. Um, and, and in Acts, we see people constantly connected to Paul. And of these 100 people, 36 were considered close companions, close helpers, close associates. Paul was a people person who loved to be with people. Matter of fact, when he's on his way to Jerusalem in the beginning of Acts 20, we see seven people are taking along with him. Now, the the, the explanation of why he needed so many people to travel with him was they were bringing this big, huge this support fund to the Jerusalem church. And, and, of course, you didn't have like a cashier's check or you didn't wire money back then. Money had to be carried, and it was heavy. So you needed a lot of people to be with you. Paul needed a lot of people with him. But he seemed to love being around people, and he loved Christ's church. Let's look at another kind of uh, command of the life of those people that the Lord Jesus uses. Not only do they love people, they hold back nothing that is profitable. They hold back nothing that is good. They hold back nothing that gives benefit. And of course, this is speaking of how Paul dedicated his life to speaking and thinking and breathing out the Word of God. This is the kind of individual that the Lord Jesus continues to use even today. People that are so dominated by the Word of God that they they can't help but think out loud the Word of God's truth. They do this, of course, because they believe that God's Word is the only way to be built up in the faith. We see this once again in Acts 19. Notice what it says there. 
in verses 20. This is the result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It, Paul, or sorry, Luke intentionally describes the ministry of Paul not as the word of Paul con, uh, continued to increase and prevail mightily. No, it was the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What a thought, what a description of someone's life, that when they get around you, they get near the Word of God. And, and when, when your words go out, they are like the Word of God prevailing and being strengthened. And of course, this brings us back to uh, verses, uh, verses 20 and 21, actually, of, of Acts 20, where Paul is speaking to the elders in Ephesus. Notice how he describes himself. He served the Lord with humility, of course, but then in 20, he did not shrink declaring to you anything that was, notice the word, profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house. He didn't hesitate. He, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't shy. He, he wasn't quiet because he was fearful. He never shrank back from telling people what was helpful, what was profitable. And of course, this came from his rock-solid belief that the Word of God was the only power able to build up people in the faith. Notice what he says in verse 32. I command you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Notice, Paul spoke the Word of God because he believed in the Word of God, because it was able to build up people in the faith. Oh, it was also profitable. That word profitable means it, it brings benefit. It's good. It's useful. It's useful for building up. And of course, we see also Paul describe when he spoke the word of God. In verse 20, he spoke it in public, and he spoke it in private, in house to house. Everywhere he was speaking the truth of the word of God. That's what he was doing in Acts 19, verse 10, when it says, For two years... All the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jew and Greek, from Paul's dedicated, faithful, persistent, public and private speaking of the word of God. How does the word of God build up? We we've saw that it has the ability to do this, but look over at verses, verses 20, verse 21, uh, chapter 20, verse 21. I did not shrink declaring to you all of these things, verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of, here's the two things that the word of God does, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, the word of God the Word of God is, is able to build you up because it directs you in the life of repentance and continual change that is constantly characterizing the life of the believer. The Word of God is constantly making you, you into a new you. But notice also, he also continued to speak for repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It, it, the Word of God constantly builds up your trust in Jesus as well, your confidence, your faith. And what is the result? Of course, we saw this repentance and faith are displayed. I want to just show you something real quick. In Ephesus, Luke records this really interesting scene where these Jewish exorcists, they, they see all the power that Paul has, and they try to uh, use the name of Jesus to cast out some demons. And instead of uh, the demons being cast out, uh, the demons jump on these men, rip them of their clothes, and they run around. They run around naked and wounded, it says in verse 16. An extraordinary scene. 
an extraordinary scene. And of course, this leads in verse 17 to all the residents of Ephesus having fear fall on them because the name of the Lord Jesus Christ had power that no other name, that nobody else could control. Jesus wasn't at the whims of whoever just called on his name. No, he was, he was dedicated to those people who were, were of his people, like Paul, not just anybody. So the, the fear of the Lord increases. And then notice we see this, this great response, and I'll just read it for you. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, just a really quick little background um, thought here. In Ephesus, magic was huge. Magic was how you provided security and stability for a capricious world, right? If you, if you knew the right name to speak, if you had the right magical books to recite, you, you were promised provision and protection. And what do we see with these, these sons of, of Sceva, these Jewish exorcists? They tried to uh, take control of their situation with the name of Jesus, and it went bad on them. And, and this showed the, the church, wow, the, the power of this world is, is terrifying, but the power of the name of Jesus is even greater. And then, of course, they, they show this great and amazing act of repentance and faith in God. They burn 50,000 pieces of silver's worth of magical books. Now, once again, these are books that, that normally people would find great security in and comfort from. But these people burn them. Now, just to help you understand, one piece of silver, maybe comparative to the, the ancient monetary unit of one drachma or a day's wage, this would be 8,300 weeks of work for an average worker. This would be an average worker with no breaks working for 137 days. Uh, 30, 37 days. They're years. Sorry, years. That's much more impressive. Uh, 137 years. That is a lifetime and a half of wealth. And these people, because of the power of the name of Jesus, are willing to burn all of that in order to follow the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus only. Notice, this is a great statement of change, of repentance. We are not following these uh, charms that we used to believe in, but now we are trusting in the name of Jesus. And notice, this is also a great statement of their faith in God, right? We are not going to live this way anymore. We are not going to even seek to provide for ourselves through uh, selling these books. We do not want anything to do with these books. This is repentance and faith in God that is extraordinary. And of course, we're going to see that's going to cause a lot of problems. Because a lot of people in Ephesus now are, are, are not kind of drinking the Kool-Aid of the town, which is magics and charms and household idols. This is going to cause a lot of problems. But let's Let's kind of move on to that. The, the Word of God will get you in trouble. Acts 19, Acts 19, 23 and following, kind of outlines the beginning of the end for Paul in Ephesus. Uh, there's this silversmith named Demetrius. He is upset by the, the effect of the gospel and how it's, how it's diminishing his business. He, he plays it up. He plays it up like it's a real spiritual issue. He's saying, this guy, Paul, he is... 
he is saying that there are no gods but one God. But really, he, he, he lets his position be known when he says in verse 25, Men, you know that from this business we have wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying the gods made with hands are not gods. Well, first off, that's just a crazy statement. The gods made with hands are not God. You made this God, and never mind. Uh, but, but, but notice, he kind of lets his position uh, out of the bag there. He wants to get rid of Paul because this business of his has produced a lot of wealth for him. Right? And now he wants to get rid of Paul. So they start this riot, and the, the key word for this riot is confusion. Matter of fact, the word confusion is repeated all throughout the rest of this chapter. People are yelling and shouting, and they don't know why they're yelling and shouting. And this is what Demetrius has caused. And of course, this leads to Paul getting kicked out of town, and eventually Paul will use this to, to move his ministry back to Jerusalem as he collects funds through Macedonia and Greece and head back to Jerusalem. And then, of course, he will, be, uh, he will be in danger all the way along that journey as well. This is all thanks to the Word of God. You see in chapter 20, he was going to take a ship from Corinth, but then Jews tried to kill him. And then, of course, when he eventually gets to Jerusalem, he is in danger as well. Matter of fact, the whole entire journey to Jerusalem, he's being warned about all the dangers and troubles that are coming his way. But this shows us another thing about the kind of people that the Lord Jesus Christ continues to use. And it answers a question also for us. How does Paul keep going? How does Paul endure all of this abuse? Well, uh, number three, the kind of people that the Lord continues to use are these. They are people that, who humble, humble themselves in affliction. Or you can say it directly to yourself. Humble yourself in affliction. Going back to chapter 20. 20 verses 22. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. Notice, this is the, this is the life that Paul lived. Not just going to Jerusalem, but everywhere Paul went. He was convinced, I'm going to suffer because I belong to Jesus. He, he, he saw affliction coming, and how does he respond to it? He humbled himself. Notice what he says in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice, notice his first response to affliction. He says, I do not account my life as inherently precious or valuable to me. My life, that's a word refers to your breath or your earthly existence. Paul does not value his life like most people would when they are afflicted. What, how does he see himself? He sees himself, I love that, that verse 24 concept of a, a runner running a race. He's, he's got one leg in the, the big race, the, the big relay race. He, he is just running one leg. And his main purpose, his main goal, is to run the race that's been given to him. His life is, is not valuable. His, his, his value he finds in doing what the Lord Jesus has given him to do. He humbles himself. He, he sees himself as belonging to the Lord Jesus and being used by Jesus however Jesus wants to use him. What an incredible 
incredible expression of humility. But notice, notice what motivates him. Verse 24, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Notice that. Notice that. His life is changed. He doesn't view his afflictions the same way he used to because the gospel of grace is more precious to him than his life or the afflictions he experiences in this life. Uh, completing his course to spread the value of the gospel of grace is more important to Paul than, you know, claiming rights or demanding better treatment. The gospel of grace is more valuable. And this, of course, leads us to another aspect of the kind of people that the Lord continues to use. Talk about this one. Be bound to Christ most. Be bound to Christ most. We see Paul not only see himself um, in affliction correctly, but we see why he sees himself in affliction correctly, because he sees himself as bound to Christ, as Christ's slave most. Verses 18 and 19 in his sermon here kind of let us let us see, right? He is, he is loving people, but verse 19 says he is serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials, all of these things. And in, verse, uh, in chapter 19, verse 21, it says this of Paul. After these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after that I, I must see also Rome. Notice the words, he resolved in the spirit. Or, jump back over to chapter 20, verse 22. Notice how Paul describes himself. I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the spirit. That's where we get this idea of, of being bound. Paul Paul sees himself as being compelled by the Spirit. The Spirit is Lord of his life. The Spirit is the one driving him here and there because Christ Jesus is Lord. And he is compelled by the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me actually of Paul's very words to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 2 where he makes this argument, right? If there is any encouragement in Christ, and there certainly is, If there is any comfort from love, oh, there definitely is. If there is any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Paul basically saying, I am constrained by the love of Christ and by the the affections that come my way by the Spirit to put my life on the line for the love of Christ. He is compelled. Matter of fact, jump over to chapter 21. Uh, Verses 11, this is Agabus who is predicting Paul's trouble in Jerusalem. Notice how Agabus describes this in verse 11. He took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And then, of course, Luke adds this note in verse 12. "When, When we heard this, we... And the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, notice how Paul speaks. What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Notice the Spirit is warning him of the trouble that's coming. 
but the Spirit is also directing him to that trouble. And, and Paul must, because he feels himself bound to Christ. This is the language that Paul often uses to speak of himself. He opens up his letters with this description of himself. I am nothing. I am just a slave. A slave of Christ. And, and notice, notice the, the order there, right? Verse, verse uh, chapter 20 Chapter 20 comes before chapter 21. Before Paul is ever bound by enemies, he is first bound by the love of Christ. And that is what he must obey. And this is the kind of person that the Lord Jesus continues to use, who are bound more to Christ than to any man's opinion or to what happens to them if they can just complete the run and the race that the Lord Jesus has given them. Let's look at one more final point of the kind of people that the Lord Jesus uses. They are people who are always on the alert. And you could say it this way, be always on the alert. And of course, this brings us to all the dangers that Paul saw. But, but notice Paul's urgency. He, he, in this sermon, this final sermon to the Ephesian elders, he says all this about himself almost so that he can say this to them in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Or notice in verse 31, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. No, this is the urgency of Paul. This is the urgency of his life. Be constantly on alert. There's, there's two dangers. There's, there's the flock of God straying. That's what you want to be careful for and concerned about. Other believers straying from the faith. But notice also, pay careful attention, verse 28 as well, to yourselves. To yourselves. And we see the reason for this in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. What a terrifying, sad, devastating picture of the very elders who were possibly listening to this. Some of them, driven by ambition and pride, are going to function in the church like fierce wolves. What, what are they after? They're just after some disciples after their name. That's, we need to be careful. We need to be careful because of pride and, and the roots and the dangers that it can produce in our own hearts and lives as well. We need to be constantly on alert for, for what, what sin is trying to take advantage and war against our souls, as First Peter would tell us. So this is, this is the kind of people that the Lord Jesus uses, though. Those, those are the people right there. They, they love people. They speak God's word. They humble themselves in affliction. They are bound to Christ as his slaves, and they are ready and always alert to danger not only in others, but also in themselves. This is the, the kind of person that Paul was, and, and this is the person that, that we can be too, in, in one extent or another. These are, these are not extraordinary apostle-only characteristics. These are characteristics of people that love the Lord Jesus Christ first and see themselves as, as mere instruments, grace-covered, blood-covered instruments in the hands of the living God. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you very much for this passage of scripture, these chapters that are so interesting and compelling and extraordinary as they speak of the power of your word as it continues to grow. We pray that we would be people that you'd continue to use. We'd think less of ourselves and more of you. 
we'd be humbled by the gracious gospel that's been given to us in your blood, and we'd be eager to be used by you to speak anything that is beneficial and good and helpful to those around us. We pray all this in your name alone. Amen.